Welcome to this episode of On the Air, a podcast for individuals interested in teaching and learning about the profession of occupational therapy. I'm Stephanie Lancaster, and this is the space for exchanging and informing as we talk about topics and ideas related to the field of OT. One of the things that many people don't realize about occupational therapy is that within our practice framework and within our scope of practice is the occupation of sexual activity. It's defined in the third edition of the OTPF as engaging in activities that result in sexual satisfaction and or meet relational or reproductive needs. With that in mind, Today's guest is occupational therapist, Dr. Katherine Ellis, who is the CEO and founder of the Institute of Sex, Intimacy, and Occupational Therapy, which offers continuing education services for OT professionals and client services for sexuality counseling. Katherine is a doctor of occupational therapy and an AASECT certified sexuality counselor, Her mission, she says, is to dismantle restrictive norms related to sexuality and intimacy, which limit occupational therapists and clients so that all individuals can thrive as sexual beings. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for being on the air. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I think sex and intimacy is a topic that and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this, is is undercovered, if that's a word, in OT school. And even for a lot of practitioners, because we have our own kind of hang-ups or comfort level, maybe is a better way to put that, about these topics. And so I, I feel like we're kind of opening the curtain to see Oz today, in a way. Um, and I'm really interested to get into this topic with you. But first, I want to ask you about your origin story, how did you even find out about and find your way to occupational therapy? So I knew I wanted to be an occupational therapist um, from a very, very young age. I was in the seventh grade, actually. Ah. Yeah, Um, it's certainly a profession that um, I feel like I've been at it, you know, my whole life, which is really cool. Um, So I, when I was in the seventh grade, I did my science fair project on massage therapy. Um, and I have, I really was always sort of fascinated with the process of like therapeutic touch. Um, and so at that point I had known of occupation or, uh, of massage therapy. Mm-hmm. So I did my, my research on that. And I, I remember I had all the kids like sit in a circle and rub each other's backs. <laughs> um, so that was my first group session that I ever ran. <laughs> um, and I was sharing this with my mom. And at the time, uh, my mother was like, okay, well, that sounds like a really, you know, great profession, but like, let's continue to explore what's out there. Um, so she had one of her friends was an occupational therapist and as like probably 99.9% of occupational therapists are like completely enthralled with their job. Um, she, the friend was like, oh my gosh, it's the best profession ever. Like you have to tell your daughter about it. I think she would really like it. 
And my mom, you know, of course did her research and then uh, we did research together probably by like the eighth grade. And I, I really thought that everything I learned about it, I really like. I think I was really attracted to the idea that it helps people be more independent um, and looks at engaging in occupation. I found that really interesting, you know, getting people back to being active and enjoying their life um, was sort of the early, the early interest. And then when I was in high school, I did a bunch of um, observation hours and loved it. I mean, I loved everything that I saw and everything I experienced from the hospital setting to a psych setting to, I, you know, observed at Easter Seals and um, loved it. I knew it was for me and I still do. I mean, I think this is like the coolest profession out there. I love what you said. And it's so true that something like 99% of OT practitioners out there are completely enthralled with <laughs> our profession. And I don't know that you find that in a lot of other professions where people say, I would 100% choose it again. I, you know, I love my job. And of course, nothing's perfect and not every day is great, but overall it's, it's pretty good. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, from some of the statistics that it's like very high job satisfaction yeah. in like U.S. News and World Report to just even feeling it myself. I mean, you're right. Not every day is great and there are frustrations, but it's a really, um, I, I, sometimes I think, you know, I've heard like occupational therapy, it's a lifestyle. And then yeah. knowing that like, um, you know, you can help facilitate that kind of occupational balance and engagement for other people, knowing that it's, it's really like affects quality of life. I think that, that can be, um, you know, not only rewarding, but it feels very authentic. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It really does. And it's kind of um, like, you know, the saying used to be physician heal thyself. It's, you know, we, we OT ourselves, best mm -hmm. case scenario. So mm -hmm. um, it's really true. Well, so how did you decide which OT school to go to? And what do you remember about getting into OT school? Now, I, I'm from Delaware, so we don't have an OT program. And um, the University of Delaware is affiliated with Jefferson University. So they have it like they have kind of a, a track program. Um, but I also, I grew up in Newark, Delaware, which is where the University of Delaware was. So I literally would not really have gone, I would not have left my hometown. The dorms were down the street. Um, and my parents, you know, I'm always grateful to my parents for encouraging, you know, my brother and I to go out of state. Mm. Um, and so, and, and, you know, enabling us to do so. So I think I applied um, you know, I thought it looked at the schools in the area. There's Towson, Elizabethtown, um, and James Madison. And I fell in love with James Madison. Uh, it's in the mountains. It's so beautiful. Um, you know, the, the staff, or I'm sorry, the students, sort of when we toured, the, the students sort of wanted to assert that they were like a very conscious student body, that they like always really cared about doing alternative spring break trips and community outreach programs that as a whole, that was like a culture at the college. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. So I think that was um, a lot of the reason. And, you know, at the time, uh, 
Jeff Loveland was the program director there and he was really engaged with the students. I think I met him before I even decided to go there for undergrad. Um, so he was like really, you know, wanted to make himself accessible. And um, it, I, I could sense that there would be like a good tight knit community around James Madison and there was. So I went there for undergrad and then um, graduate school. All right, that's that's really impressive. And I think, you know, as a faculty member and a program director myself, I like that term accessibility. That's really, you know, it's not like you have to be best friends with the students and that's, you know, you gotta have boundaries, but to be accessible to them, I think is really a good thing. It's a good goal for people if they're not already that way in this position. Um, so what was your favorite class in OT school? Mm, that's so interesting. I, I, I don't know I could pick a favorite class, but I do topics, you know, I, I thought sensory integration. Mm. Um, I love, I still to this day, I mean, and I even actually use it a lot in my work with sex and intimacy, but um, I really enjoyed the concept of learning about sensory integration. Um, I felt like that was so uniquely OT. Um, and something that OT had really pioneered. Um, yeah. And I think I, I mean, I've, I really appreciated the ones that like made you think out of the box. So we had an assistive technology class and a therapeutic modality class where we would, you know, do different activities and, um, you know, think about how participating in that activity made us feel. Um, I think that those were some of the ones that I found the most like thought provoking. Um, but so I'll be honest, I really enjoyed school. So I could keep going and I'll probably list all of them because now I'm like, oh wait, like, but neuroscience was so interesting. And like, um, yeah, I mean the neuroscience, I loved neuroscience. I thought that was so fascinating. And same with like anatomy, not really anatomy, but physiology. So like the processes that go on in the body um you know the what makes us tick on the inside and it's interesting because all of those things help to lead up to where you are now and that's what i want to ask you about next how did you get into sex and intimacy as a specialty area of practice yeah so that's a great that's one of my favorite questions to kind of go into that also started from a young age so um i have I was incredibly close with my grandmother um, and she was just this amazing, uh, amazing person, like the quintessential grandmother, like loving, warm. Uh, she was so kind to everyone and, um, you know, she was, she was the best. Um, I really appreciated like her love and compassion for, for really everyone. Um, and she was a nurse. Um, she was very, she had a lot of conviction for, um, uh, uh, pro-life movements and she, that was a very important part of, um, you know, that was very meaningful for her. And I, you know, she was never, she never pushed the agenda on anyone else, but she was very like comfortable and confident with herself that it, you know, she would kind of make efforts to try to help people, um, you know, choose, you know, 
not to have an abortion or, mm -hmm. um, you know, she would counsel a lot of women and, and educate them on the, you know, whole process of pregnancy and labor and keeping your child. And, um, you know, a lot of that education was not always offered to people. Um, that education wasn't always offered to women that maybe were, um, didn't always have like a safe space in the, in the healthcare environment. Um, and so she was like a resource and an outlet for them. And um, what I, she wanted them to have the skill set, you know, to feel like they, they could be parents and, and hopefully to choose that direction. So I say all of this um, to say that, you know, I, from a very young age, I started to understand the concept of sex and the concept that like there were these outcomes that could be um you know a surprise or undesirable or harmful or you know something that we would want to try to prevent so from a very young age i sort of had this understanding around sex and sexuality and that sometimes there were outcomes um that people that were difficult you know for people or that they were a surprise or something that maybe they would have wanted to prevent um, and so I, I just started asking myself, you know, for as serious as sex seems to be, how are we not talking about it on the front end? And where's the education for sexual health? And, you know, how do we, um, how do we equip people to make decisions and to make choices that and where they have the skill set, you know, to engage in the sex that they want to engage in, in a way that is really empowering and, you know, doesn't, doesn't lead to outcomes that they would, they would not want. Um, and so, you know, while I don't necessarily have the same um, conviction or opinion that my grandmother has, I certainly, it kind of framed it, it really inspired me to, to help people more on the front end of that. Um, and so, you know, then, so as soon as you ask the question of like, why aren't we talking more about sex and like how to have healthy sex, then you open up all these other doors of all these other ways that we're not having healthy dialogue on it. Um, so I figured, you know, clearly in my high school, like it was, um, you know, I, I saw a lot, you know, I saw people who'd have, you know, really affirming relationships and sexual experiences, and then people that would have very unaffirming experiences, maybe they got bullied or teased, or, you know, there was like an assault or a breakup, like all of these, all of these things, very difficult, you know, to manage um, as adolescents. So I went to college and thought that maybe it would get addressed in college. And all I saw, I remember seeing in like health, you know, 101 as a freshman in college, like, they put up, you know, like the massive PowerPoints, like, um, you know, projection screen. Oh, yeah. Um, so they put up an STD. So it was like an STD the size of a house. <laughs> oh, no. Like, so terrifying. It was like an <laughs> alien or, you know, and it was like, okay, this is not exactly what I thought we would get either. Um, and then, you know, just knowing like it wasn't addressed in our program. Um and so then I started my, um, my first job and it was, you know, kind of like an acute rehab position. And, um, you know, I had, it had always been in the back of my mind. I'd always been curious about it. And um, very early on in that 
on that job, um, an occupational therapist, a friend of mine had like came into the clinic, um, staff lounge, and she was like bright red, red as a tomato. And we were like, oh my God, what's wrong? And she was like, I can't believe what just happened to me. And um, we're like, what happened? And she goes, well, I was showering, you know, so-and-so or helping him shower and teaching him how to be independent. And his wife was there. And this was the first time that this guy had showered in like three months. Um, you know, he was really, he was really like banged up. And so um, the wife, they're in there and the wife had on a white t-shirt and she took off her t-shirt and said, we don't want to have a white t-shirt contest up in here. <laughs> so she takes off her t-shirt and she proceeds to do the treatment session in her bra, which is also like half in the shower, half not with her husband. And it was, um, you know, my friend, my peer is telling me this story and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is great. Uh, and then I'm like picking up on the fact that that was not her reaction. Um, and she felt a lot of things. Um, my, the peer, my, the OT felt embarrassed. She felt perhaps that um, she had allowed them to do something that she wasn't supposed to let them do. And then I think she herself also felt a little violated. Um, like she didn't want to be in that space and they didn't, they didn't really, the wife, the wife didn't like double check it with her. Um, and so it was all of these feels. And I, I think that, um, you know, it became, I had two sort of like aha moments with that, that moment, which was one, you know, this matters for our clients. And two, we are relatively unprepared to manage it. Um, and so while all of my efforts, while a lot of my efforts have been, you know, advancing my clinical practice, um, I've kind of, you know, parallel to that, have put a lot of my efforts towards uh, education and educating the profession on these topics. Um, and then, you know, once you go down that road, it's been really fun and it's just, it hasn't stopped, so. I really can see in that in that story and in the you know however many times a day that happens across the US and you know not even getting into worldwide but it's the elephant in the room. I mean yeah. it's it's not it's there. It's not going to disappear but it's something that people are uncomfortable even discussing their discomfort about. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of need for even if students do get a lecture or two or three in in ot school it's probably not enough or it's not it's contextual so you know maybe they learn about sexuality or sex after spinal cord injury or in the geriatric population but it's not specific to a person or a client or mm -hmm. um even more of a diagnosis than that usually and it's just a it's a glimpse of it it's not enough and so it's i think what you are offering through your company through this continuing ed type module is so valuable and needed in our profession and for other healthcare professionals too um, i know i have seen multiple studies that look at which discipline in a healthcare team gets most of the questions or 
you know, becomes the conversation partner with somebody who is a client and has a concern in the area of sex and intimacy. And it's by far, you know, nursing gets a lot, but I think OT gets the most Mm -hmm. by the nature of what else we do. You know, the shower scene that you just talked about is a prime example. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's also now that with, with with occupational therapists, like the nature of what we do, it does end up being very intimate. And that has been said before, right? But what is mm-hmm. not necessarily always said is that when we think of multidisciplinary approaches, um, there's other disciplines that feel far less intimate. And so, you know, knowing that not only do we sort of like open the kind of nature of what we do opens these doors, but knowing that not a lot of other doors are open for them. Mm-hmm. So we'll get, you know, when you, when you do allow the conversation, like you're going, it's okay. You're going to get questions that are better for the doctor. Well, you know what? It's because that, that's okay. I mean, you're, you're getting some of the questions. And so it's, you know, connecting with the doctor, asking them to address it, you know, and then um, you'll certainly get questions that, that you're capable of answering as an OT, but just knowing you're going to get like, um, unless there's like some programming put around creating like, okay, everyone is going to start addressing this. Um, I think you'll be surprised at how much, and that's a good thing because they need these outlets. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I can only imagine being somebody with a type of diagnosis or just even the aging process that is obviously going to impact intimacy and, relationships and things like that and and not having anyone to talk to about it um or just you know having your partner but they don't know either and there's just a lot of layers to that yeah absolutely yeah so you offer courses um online courses through your website is that accurate yeah so what i have on the institute for sex intimacy ot um i've got two courses available right now and these are i have i have my approval to offer ceus um, approved by aota um so i've got the two courses up right now i'm i'm uploading a third one this weekend we're working on you know sort of what how or i'm sorry um I'm uploading a third one this weekend that has that talks about like the typical treatment session and by typical it's it's like saying um, looking at like different forms of service delivery and different settings what would be examples of that sort of treatment session Um, I you know so it's not really like giving intervention strategies but I get a lot of people that'll say like what does it look like like what does it all look like so I'll I go through like what it might look like um, you know on an inpatient psych unit what it might look like on a you know if you're working with like a post uh, joint replacement surgery where it's like integrated into the treatment that you're already doing um, what it might look like in a community setting or in an outpatient setting where they're coming to you specifically for sex and intimacy. So I kind of break it down that way. Um, I have found that, that that's, you know, like I said, people will just ask like, okay, this is, this content is really great, but like we still just can't process what it looks like. Um, so that's the answer to that. And then 
Um, coming in the later spring, we'll be uploading a course, a two hour course um, on sort of LGBTQ plus uh, considerations, you know, what occupational therapists need to know to work with this, these groups. Um, so we're, I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, so those are the kind of online courses, right? So people will, would purchase those courses and then you watch it at whatever time is convenient for you. Um, you have access to those courses indefinitely. Um, and it, it does take about an hour to get through and you complete it and you get your CEU certificate. Um, I also have a few other things, um, you know, I, so I lecture at universities all the time, uh, guest lecture, and then also um, in-person CEU events. So um, if a hospital or a facility wanted to uh, facilitate an event, um, now, you know, now it would be a CEU event uh, if, the if they hired the institute to come and um, run a event. And I, I got a lot of fun stuff coming too. Um, so I am launching a um, program development and implementation group coaching. So this is gonna be offered to eight people at a time and it's gonna be six sessions and there's different topics for each session. So six session over three months. And what I'm really doing is building like a community um, around, around all of us of support and encouragement. And then also too, like helping people formulate what a program that they would wanna develop and think about. It's really just like, learn from all the mistakes that I made and um, <laughs> let me tell you what worked for, for me and what I think, you know, these are the things that you need to think about, engaging stakeholders, um, you know, figuring out what you wanna offer, uh, workshopping that. Um, and yeah, and so, and doing it together in a group session where we can all learn from each other. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's really great. It's so valuable because it's, it's really not something you can get from a textbook, not in the right. same way, you know, in the same quality of it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I did want to tell you, Catherine, your website is beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's, and I'm, I'm kind of critical. I'm a, I'm a little bit critical of websites because my doctorate is in instructional design and technology and I'm really techie and so to, I really am impressed with it. It's beautiful. It's very clear and easy to navigate. The artwork is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's just, it's obvious where to go to find what piece somebody wants there. So um, kudos cool. for that. I really appreciate that. You uh, know, those websites, they only take about six months to make. So <laughs> yeah, they're not an afternoon project for sure. They're not, they're not no. done well, for sure. And <laughs> I, I think, I mean, you can see on there where there's room for growth and, and I can see yeah. that eventually there might be a whole library of courses offered. Yeah. And the online thing is so great because somebody could be in their pajamas or they could do it at, you know, midnight or, or six in the morning or, you know, Sunday afternoon or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be a certain time or place or you don't have to brush your hair if you want to. So. Yeah. You know, when I did my beta testing for the courses, um, you don't know how many people, and, and it's so, it's just so interesting because, you know, um, you know, you, 
sometimes you don't know what people will really appreciate, right? Yes, that's like what great. aspect of it, and you you kind of labor over one part of it, and it's like that's not what people love about it, but they yeah. love something else, you know. And mm -hmm. so I had so many people share with me that they loved that they could start and stop, and they were like, a few of them were parents, and they said a parent can't dedicate any more than fifteen minutes. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, that's great. But like, you know, um, kind of overwhelming to think about that. But, yeah. They were um, like, yeah, it's great. We can, you know, I can do this over the course of four nights, 15 minutes, you know, and that's what they very, loved about it. And then, it is very universal design for, for learning in, in many aspects. I mean, if somebody has maybe an attention or, or cognitive or focus problem, you've got that. And, and that you allow repeated access to it, that's a really nice feature too. I've taken a lot of uh, continuing ed courses online and I haven't seen, usually it's just, it seems like it's just, you play it, maybe you can start and stop it, maybe not, but it's one time access. And then, mm. you know, it's just too bad if you wanna come back and review it later or something like mm. that. So that's really yeah. nice. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really trying my, the intent is to create a community around this. Like, so for the website to also be, you know, a membership um, and that people can continue to access this and there'll be new resources. Um, that's, you know, a, a, the direction that I want to be moving um, is that there's more like interface and engagement on the website. So, you know, and it's, it's interesting you comment on the, um, the design, you know, I, I do find myself to be creative. And so while it does take a really long time, I did, um, you know, it's your, I appreciate, this is not something I thought I would think that like, oh, I really enjoyed this, but it, I'm creating something. So, yep. you know, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily a good artist, right. But, you know, I do like the process of like putting things together and creating it and seeing how it looks. Um, and that certain, this go, the come the business has certainly fed that creative, um, need that I have. And you have a Facebook page as well, right? If people want to connect that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, um, lots of ways to connect and start learning and then to get more formal training. And of course those CEUs we have to think about uh, for sure. Yeah, and the group the group coaching will be, yeah. will be six CEUs. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, something else, speaking of training, I did want to ask you about is I know that you are AASECT certified. And what is that? And how do you get that certification? So that's the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, Therapists. Okay. And I am a sexuality counselor. Um, so this is a training that like, what well, was a very big training undertaking, um, that I did. And I think at the time I was, um, I was the only OT that was ASEC certified. And now we have, we've got quite a few of more OTs that are in the process, which is awesome. Yeah. That's um, great. I always like to say though, you know, you don't need the certification to do this work. Mm, you just yeah. don't. You know, and I, I know that we, there's so many other barriers to doing this work. I don't want to create another one. Um, like to yeah. think that you need a certification. What you need to do is educate yourself and do training and, um, you know, 
start diet like healthy dialogue around sex and intimacy that's been really helpful for me um and there are certainly you know it, it's hard because we don't really get this in school in a way that's adequate at all um and so then we're stuck between really not much and then this like huge undertaking of an asex certification um and i you know we don't we want to be informed clinicians you know there that we it is possible to be harmful you know with some of the things that we might say to a client um certainly if we have like no training it's really really easy um to say something that might be harmful or hurtful mm -hmm. or not helpful or not yeah true. just because we don't know because we don't know so it is important to do a lot of self-study um you know take ceus um read any sort of research article that's out there i do a lot of like um, pop culture reading um just to like hear different perspectives uh around sexuality um you know i think that that's been in incredibly helpful for me and are you familiar with the plicit or the explicit model at all yeah yeah, yeah i, I am. figured you were that's something that i try to talk about with the students that i teach just as an introduction to it and to me it's helpful because it it just kind of gives you a framework for how to bring up conversations that are yeah. tricky and delicate yeah. i really like that the plicit model gives so what my favorite thing about the plicit model is that it gives the clinician permission to identify where they're at at their own comfort level. And I think it's really, really imperative that while I am like, you know, bells and whistles advocate for talking about sex and intimacy with your clients, really the Plissett model allows there to be a space that says, I'm going to bring this up with my client, but I'm not really comfortable going any farther. And I think it's really important that clinicians know that you're allowed to say that, but yeah, yeah. you need to do that first part. Like that first part is like the, this is what you need to do. You don't have to be the sex part, you know, like you, that's, it, that's not necessary. And I always, you know, we're talking about sex here. So, everybody needs to be comfortable including the clinician so it allows the clinician to say like but you know so it, it it's like it kind of enforces what is expected really should as sort of like a standard be for the for the clinician uh -huh. and then allows them to say like this is where i would refer to my peer ot that is more comfortable with it or this yeah. is where i would get them connected with resources yeah, you know, yes. so it's, I'm a, gonna... it's a guideline, kind of almost a protocol Absolutely. of sorts, which the to me, the more uncomfortable or unfamiliar I am about something, the more it helps to have rules or structure to right. it. Right, right. Good at it, I don't need that because I can figure my way on my own. So Absolutely. I think that's a really something. And I'll list that um a link to that just general information on that model in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, just for people who are interested in checking that out. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I know one more thing before we start running out of time that that you wanted to talk about is embedding or or looking at how healthcare professionals can be more well versed in 
sex education right? Is that, is that the topic that you wanted to look at? Um, you know, it's just looking at like what, what more needs to be done, right? So it's two, I've, I've got two kind of final thoughts on that, you know? So um, what I've seen in, in doing the work and also like being an open door for really anyone in the profession to talk about their experiences. Mm, yeah. Um, with this, these topics you know, is how imperative it is that this becomes um, an ACOAT standard. And so uh, I think in 2008, 2017, the ACOAT standards got uh, revised. And I, 2018. Okay, yeah. yeah. So in 2017, um, I, you know, sort of facilitated an advocacy campaign and um, people, I, I made a template for what my recommendations are and, and had that peer reviewed and sent that out. Um, people signed it and sent the letter in. It was a great, you know, advocacy campaign. However, they did not adopt the standards. Um, they did not adopt a sex and intimacy standard in the new revisions. So we will try again next time. But the reason why this is so important is because it creates a standard and then the curriculum has to reflect those standards. But Another reason why is sort of like the flip side of this. And so I've heard scenarios where students have asked their professors about sex and intimacy or suggested maybe a program or a project. And um, they have actually been um, uh, criticized by their professors. This is in the, this is OT education. They have been, they have been, criticized by their professors and you know criticized shamed maybe marked down like on the assignment you know like and said it was inappropriate so we've got that as a story as a narrative and then another narrative that uh, that i've heard a few times is that a professor has chosen to include it in their curriculum and they have been criticized by maybe the students or their leadership. And so when we really think about this, some of this, some of these standards almost have to do with protection. <laughs> like, you know, reinforcing that this is okay even to talk about. You know, we, we still, we have, a, you know, apparently we've got programs in the profession where um, the culture is such to, you know, really, um, criticize anyone that wants to, to talk about that. That is very unfortunate. And, and I will say, just in case anybody's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about when we say the standards, um, that's the OT accreditation board, ACOAT, um, that really guides what is taught in OT programs. And so there are a bunch of standards, really a whole lot, that have to be addressed in every OT education program. And that's at the OTA level, the master's level, and the OTD level. Um, there's different ones or different variations or iterations of the same one for each of those levels. And it's interesting, or people might find it interesting, I do, that nowhere in the standards is the word sex, sexuality, or intimacy. And um, now there are things about health literacy and you know teaching about 
um, anatomy and physiology and more general things like that. And so I could see justifying what is taught about sex and intimacy under those things, but something that's kind of parallel to that, that is equally, if not more concerning in the same vein is the OT practice framework, the OTPF. And that is, I mean, if somebody's been through OT school any time in recent past, they hopefully talked about the fact that sex is an occupation. It's, you know, something that people do spend their time doing that has meaning to them in whatever roles that they're in. And so it is, it is really an ADL, um, sexual activity. And, but that's, and it's mentioned as that in the current version, the third edition of the OTPF, but it's, it's not elaborated on at all. It's very briefly mentioned there. So, um, you know, that probably is a door into what you're talking about, but a door that's probably hard to open or keep open, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now along the line with the OTPF, um, and I'll share this, this is a separate website and I'll share it with you, but on Catherine Ellis Consulting, on the social responsibility page is another letter for comment because the OTPF the Commission on Practice is revising the OTPF. And so uh, listeners can go to that and download that letter, read it. It's a Word document. So people can read it and they can edit it. You can make it read whatever you want it to read. It's your letter. Um, but I do make, and again, that was, you know, a collaborative process, but we do offer um, new definitions, uh, you know, and so those are those are really the definitions of the, that the Institute for Sex Intimacy OT embraced as definitions. But, you know, we, we kind of advocating like this is really important, um, you know, in the vein of protecting, you know, the students and the professors that acknowledge, you know, that it's in the OTPF, but can't somehow bring it up in curriculum. Um, and then, you know, in all of that process, this is why policy is so important, is it, it does create like standardization. And then we can move forward and say, okay, it's in the standards. What do we need to talk about? Um, because, you know, with their, with the, you know, not really in there, then there's no guidance. Um, and everyone's getting different things. And, you know, again, it's like, it's like creating a profession that's really equipped to, to address the sex and intimacy needs of our clients and acknowledging that they're sexual beings. Yeah, very important. And something that people may want to be on the lookout for is um, by the time this episode airs, it, it, it may have already happened, but to be on the lookout for updated versions of that OTPF. And you're right, the fourth, the draft of the fourth version is um, being looked at now. And I'm not sure of the deadline for that, but they are looking for feedback on that right now. So it's probably um, time is of the essence there in that policy making venue. Um, but I agree with you. It's, it's important to look at things that are important to our clients, potential clients or stakeholders. And, you know, sometimes it's things like that, that easily fall by the wayside, but we're missing a big something that's important to people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this, the the final the second thing the final thing was just the importance of in any sort of like to prepare 
to prepare ourselves to address the needs, the sex and intimacy needs of our clients. Um, it's in, you know, all sort of like sexual health education for healthcare providers um, to do a process of self-reflection. And this is very, very explicitly to do a process of self-reflection of your own values, beliefs, attitudes, and bias. So around sexuality, specifically around sexuality. And so what this really is doing is it helps um, improve the therapeutic relationship when we know that we have our own bias and we can feel them sort of surface and know, know what's going on and then reconcile with them so that they don't transmit in that therapeutic relationship. And that's so important. And we get into like cultural, you know, humility. Mm -hmm. um, we get into what, you know, what to do when you don't know what to do. And, yeah. um, and just, you know, acknowledging that like, there's all of these different preferences and things people like to do, things people don't like to do. Um, and the, and the way that like culture, religion, um, other institutions influence that and how that's really, that can be really meaningful for people. Um, but just knowing that as an individual person, you are, you also are a sexual being. Um, and we have to acknowledge that in ourselves, know kind of like what makes up our identity um, so that we can really help facilitate the same process for somebody else. And yeah. Do you have a recommendation of how or a resource that how could somebody facilitate that self-reflection process in themselves? Yeah, sure. I do have a resource. So this is something that I offer as a, um, a virtual live event. I do about, I do this about six times, six times a year. I'm trying to get it to be more monthly. Um, but you know, opening up again, a small group, maybe 10 people, and it's all virtual where we go through this process of self-reflection and then dialogue, kind of disclosure and dialogue. And it's so amazing what people learn from each other. Um, because someone's, you know, if they share it, then someone will go, oh, that's interesting. Like, I have a completely different perspective. And now we've got, now we have like acknowledgement that two different perspectives mm -hmm. exist in the world. Yeah. And, and are these OT practitioners that are in the group, Catherine? Yeah. OT, OTRs and OTAs. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's always like, an, it's always just like a super, uh, a fun group for people. Um, and, you know, the, the, the idea again is like, framing where everyone's at and knowing that um, I always like try to assert that multiple perspectives can coexist without a threat to one yeah. perspective. Right. You know? That's so an important thing to realize or recognize. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, um, if you have that resource to share, I'll love to put that in the show notes. Um, okay. Is there anything else that you would like to share or leave the listeners with as we start to close? Your website for sure. And your continuing ed courses, I will recommend those. Um, and I, I do want to go through those myself. I think those are just great ways to learn in an easy way. Yeah. A comfortable way. You know, I always like to leave people with sort of like an action item that they can go and do almost immediately after listening to your podcast. And one thing that I promise people, it will get easier to talk about sex the more that you talk about sex. That's a great tip. And, you know, I've heard it said that sex is the most overlooked 
ADL and occupational therapy. And I, I do think that's true. Um, there's a little bit of information on the role of OT in addressing sexuality on the AOTA website. So if somebody's a member of that, that's somewhere they might want to check out. Um, and there's a couple of textbooks too, or books that I'll, I'll put in the show notes that um, I've recommended to students and practitioners before. But I agree with you, you have to out loud it or you're never going to be good at doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a final thing, another, another thing that would be really helpful to get in the standards, I know a lot of people are working on this, is a standard uh, to have some training around LGBTQIA+. Yeah, be really uh, is really imperative too. You know, oftentimes these sort of topics go hand in hand. Um, there's, you know, it's sex, intimacy, and gender, and, and how we relate to ourselves and our gender identity. And um, it's just, it's, it's really great work. And we know that it's meaningful. I mean, we know that people um, will have an injury, you know, and then say like, I don't feel um, good about myself anymore. I don't feel, you know. Um, I can't do this and that. I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing my manly duties or, you know, certain things like that, you know, and it's just so interesting um, learning about gender in general. Right. And, and when it can get into those standards, we can also be equipped to understand it. Yeah. And for that, for learning about those types of things, I would direct people to the COTAD website, um, the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, and that's cotad.org. And there are some great um, resources there and they're being added to all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, any conferences, if, if somebody goes to AOTA conference, um, sometimes even at state conferences, um, they may see a little bit about that in um, different cultures or contexts. So that's a good layer to add to OT practitioner knowledge on top of um, the information that you're providing. So great recommendations. Well, thank you, Catherine. I appreciate you taking your time to, to share this with us. And, and I'm going to keep tabs on your website and continue to follow along and see what else I can learn. Awesome. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read the show notes or find out how to access any of the resources discussed on the podcast, you can visit the website at www.ontheair.us. I'd also like to ask you to share with others about the podcast to help us connect with even more people interested in teaching and learning about occupational therapy and OT-related topics. Thanks again, and I look forward to engaging on future episodes. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.